Okay, in my Bible at least, Nehemiah chapter 6 is entitled by the, uh, the translators or the editors, Further Opposition to the Rebuilding. Uh, that's the situation that Nehemiah finds himself in at the moment, the people too. We're just going to read a few verses today uh, from verse 10 and uh, then get into it. Here we go. This is Nehemiah writing. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but they had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, because of what they've done. Remember also the prophetess, Nadiah, and the rest of the prophets who've been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Okay, there we have it. We've been uh, in the book of Nehemiah for some uh, weeks now, a series there looking at what was going on in the nation of Israel and God's people at that particular time in their history and then trying to uh, derive some lessons that apply equally uh, to us now in the 21st century. So we've seen that this has really been a time of, of new beginning for God's people because they had, for a number of generations before this point, they had been, you could describe them as religious rebels. In a sense, they were God's people, but they had rebelled against him for generations. They'd been trying their best to ignore him, even worshipping other gods, uh, forsaking his word, and uh, just disregarding him entirely. And, um, and God, as a way of disciplining them, allowed another nation to take them captive, to overthrow them, and to uh, take the small group of people, uh, of God's people who are still alive, to take them into exile um, to nations far away. And, uh, and then that was the case for well in excess of a hundred years. God's people were captive. God's people were in exile. But in the book of Nehemiah and before that in Ezra 2, there's a sense of, of God bringing about a completely fresh start, a new, a new beginning. And so Nehemiah, who all his life has lived and worked in a city far away from Jerusalem, um, has heard a report of, uh, of the city of Jerusalem, God's city, being absolutely devastated, the walls are broken down, it's still the case, uh, and God lays it upon his heart to return, to go back. In fact, God makes it possible, it's a miracle really, that Nehemiah is even able to stand in Jerusalem, but God's favour is on him, he's got permission uh, from the emperor in Susa, he's got the resources available, he's gone back to a ragtag group of uh, of people in Jerusalem, but he's, he's rallied them, and with God's help, they have been rebuilding the wall. And uh, as we read just there in verse 15, the wall was complete. They managed to restore this city so that it was, again, a safe and habitable 
uh, place to live, where kind of God's kingdom, God's community, life lived out in God's way could thrive. So it's a time of new beginning. It's as if the nation has in fact been through its own uh, death and resurrection for a long time, out of the promised land, for a long time in exile. But God's plan was never to leave them there. God's plan was not to forsake them or desert them. That's what God's word says. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. Um, so even though they had rebelled, even though they had, <clears throat> they turned away, even though they had had hard hearts, even though they wanted to live life their own way, ignoring God, ignoring his words, uh, in, ignoring his goodness, uh, shunning him left, right and centre, even though that had been their decision for generations, God had not forgotten them. And so God took it upon himself to restore them and bring them uh, into a, a new life, a new time, a completely new beginning. And that's what we've seen demonstrated here by, by baptism. An old life has gone and, and someone is raised to a completely new life. It's not self-help. It's not trying to turn over a new leaf. It's not trying to climb up a ladder to somehow ascend to, to reach to God. God has revealed a way of salvation and we've got to try our best to kind of climb up and, and get up to where God is. And if we can manage that, then, then maybe he'll accept us. If we can get there, then perhaps... Uh, will be accepted. Perhaps we'll be forgiven. That's what um, religion would say. You've got to try harder. You've got to turn over a new leaf. Uh, you've got to improve yourself and make yourself right for God. And then perhaps he will accept you. But what the Bible says is a completely different way. God has come down. Um, there is a way of salvation that's been opened up for us. But it's one where God has come to us. God has identified himself with us. Actually, Jesus got baptized. Not that he had any sin uh, to repent of himself, but he was identifying himself with us. I've come to give these people the opportunity for a brand new start. I've come to give all people the opportunity to come back to God and to come back to a relationship with a heavenly father and ultimately to be a part of his kingdom, not only now, but in glory and in eternity to come. So we see, as it were, a foreshadowing of that in Nehemiah, as this city is being rebuilt, as Nehemiah goes about uh, helping and encouraging others to, to rebuild these walls, to rebuild this city, and that through that, God is doing something. Um, it's, a, it's a foreshadowing of what God has done for us now in Jesus. God sent Jesus. God sent his son uh, to come back, not just to Jerusalem, not just to come back to one ethnic group, but to come back to the whole of the human race and say, right, I'm now making it possible for you to have a brand new start. And so that's what Jesus achieved for us in dying on the cross. He died. He'd done no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth, there was nothing he'd ever said or done to uh, to go against God's law. He was perfectly 
obedient to God in every situation, in every season, in every moment. Therefore, he was uniquely qualified to die in our place and for that to be effective. He was then raised to a new life, proving and demonstrating that what he did was sufficient for all of us to also know a new life. And um, what we see in Nehemiah chapter 6 and what we've seen already earlier on in the book is at a time when God is doing a new work, at a time when God is bringing about this new beginning, this new birth uh, for the whole nation, it's true to say that not everyone is excited about it. Not everyone is thrilled. The surrounding nations, the surrounding people are not best pleased that Nehemiah returns to promote the welfare of God's people. And so we can know that when God is at work doing a new thing, when God is bringing about a new beginning, his enemies get to work too. They, they get busy to attempt to oppose God's work. It's futile. We've seen that here in this situation. It's futile because the wall was completed on the 25th day. But that doesn't stop God's enemies attempting to thwart the work that he is is doing. Um, and we see that here in the in the works of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. This these these men who are opposed to God. So God's at work doing something new, his enemies get to work. So that was true for Nehemiah and the Jews. We've seen that in chapter four and chapter six in particular. And I think we can see that it's also true in our own lives. When God is doing a new thing, there's the encouragement, there's the there's the excitement, there's a sense of 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 moving forward. But at the very same time, trouble gets stirred up. Uh, we can find ourselves in those uh, situations. And uh, and therefore, Nehemiah, this the message of this book is here to to encourage us, to help us to overcome disappointments and setbacks to help us to keep our eyes fixed on God and to receive his help to persevere. That's Nehemiah's example. In every every challenge that comes along, what do we find him doing? Is turning back to God and being refreshed, being strengthened again and being enabled to, uh, to persevere in the work of God. And God would have us do the same. We can be encountering great um, reasons for celebration and excitement and encouragement in what God is doing amongst us. But there can be setbacks as well. They can be just very practical, earthy things of challenges in the workplace. and uh, Or challenges where we encounter opposition. We've seen in Nehemiah a whole number of, of schemes, of tactics that the enemy tries to use to, to overcome the work of God. And so when we've seen those before, we've seen there's uh, ridicule, threats of violence, uh, then distraction and accusation. Um, they've been getting more and more intense, these schemes of the enemy, uh, and more and more subtle at the same time. But perhaps also what this book is showing us um, is that actually with God, a new beginning is available. Like I've already said, God didn't just leave them in captivity. God didn't just leave them in exile. He always had a plan. And really, 
That reflects his plan in all of history. He's always had a plan. The moment that Adam and Eve decided to to turn away from God, God always had a plan uh, to redeem, to rescue, to bring them back home. Uh, We've seen that here. God has always had a plan to restore the city of of Jerusalem. And that's relevant for us uh, today. Perhaps you haven't yet encountered the, the new beginning that Amy was sharing of earlier on. But it's as available now as it has ever been. It's as available for you as it is for anybody else. We were created by God and for God to know him and he couldn't possibly just leave us and forsake us and turn away from us. He wanted to come to us and bring us back, to bring us back into a new beginning. And so that is um, something for us to to not just ignore ourselves, but to take hold of. Does God want me to encounter, not just me trying to turn over a new leaf, is there something more fundamental here? Is there a God who wants to be in relationship with me and transform my life and forgive me for my mess and restore me um, into his family so that I might know him and walk with him every day of my life? What we see here, we're going to look now at a particular Another particular tactic that the enemy attempts to use to distract Nehemiah and God's people from the works is, is this. We're just going to look at one. What we see in the, in the verses that we looked at earlier on is a tactic, a scheme of the enemy that we might call deception. What is deception? Well, deception is an act or a statement. It's doing something or saying something that is intended to make people believe something that is not true. That's how God's enemies try to uh, thwart Nehemiah in this situation right here. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. This guy doesn't look like an enemy. This guy lives in Jerusalem. He's part of the community. And um, he's essentially, he's a friend. He's an old friend. Nehemiah knows this guy, goes down to his house and um, it would appear he, he has sort of a, a word from God. Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. And let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. It can appear like this is um, out of concern for Nehemiah. This guy has been praying, seeking God, and now has a, a word from God, that which is the appropriate thing to do. But we learn as the passage goes on, that this guy's just been hired to deceive. It's pretense. He's trying to trick him into believing something that isn't true. There might be a grain of truth, but essentially this guy is pretending to share the same principles as Nehemiah. He is pretending to be pursuing the same goals, but he's wearing a mask and he's trying to intimidate and cause Nehemiah to sin. I've been deceived recently. I was deceived um, by my shower gel. Okay? My shower gel looks like the real deal. It's a well-known brand. Um, it's appropriately blue in color for a man. And um, 
It has the name on it, the phrase on it, purify. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? And then I used it. And without going into the details, because that wouldn't be appropriate on a Sunday morning, um, I thought, something's not right here. I smelt the shower gel, and it smelt worse than I did. And the fragrance they called purify, I called sweat. (laughs) Bodily odour. What is it? Now I realise that some of these manufacturers have a challenge. They have to make a fragrance to, to perfume this shower gel, which kind of does the job. It smells clean, but also it kind of smells manly. And uh, maybe there's a challenge finding the right balance. Well, they didn't find it here. Um, but waste not, want not. Got to get through it. So, uh, <laughs> so be careful. So something that looks right. It looks kind of good. It looks appropriate, but essentially deceiving. I was caught off guard. The before and after effect was not the desired uh, effect. That's what's going on here with uh, deception. Now, we've, we've seen some enemy tactics that Nehemiah has already overcome. And um, some of them are fairly obvious. They're fairly blunt. They're fairly in your face. Uh, ridicule. Threats of violence. Now, we've then begun to look at some that are more subtle. Where enemies just try to, to distract Nehemiah. Uh, to kind of tempt him away, um, and also to accuse him. But if after our meeting today, I was to ridicule you, well, obviously, you'd know about it. If I were to threaten violence on you, which I won't, um, then you'd know about it. If I was to try to distract you, if I was to try to kind of accuse you of something, well, to some degree or another, that would be obvious. But you wouldn't know if I was trying to deceive you of something, because I'd be tricking you. And someone here is trying to trick Nehemiah. They have hired someone within the city. They've hired someone who appears to be a believer. They've hired someone who would appear to be a friend to try and trick Nehemiah into something that would bring him into a bad name. He'd get a bad name as a result. He'd be discredited. And they were trying to 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 cause him to fear. Now, it might not look obvious what's going on, but the word was, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, let us close the temple doors. Now, the Bible says earlier on in the book of Numbers that only the priests were allowed to go in the temple. Nehemiah is not a priest. Um, so he starts to realize... Okay, well, in certain ways, this, this might seem good. There's this guy, he lives in Jerusalem, it's familiar territory and all of that kind of stuff. But actually, what he's saying, his message is leading me astray from what God would want. And so it might not be obvious to begin with, but it's incredibly subtle. I suppose for us reading this passage, it's entitled, in my Bible at least, Further Opposition to the Rebuilding. So we read this passage and we know... The enemy is up to no good, because that's what we're told, and we're reading it. But Nehemiah was living it, and he didn't wake up one morning, kind of 
necessarily to be told, you're going to encounter this particular opposition today. So it was, it was not obvious. And there are, I suppose there are ways for us where things are, things can be not, they're not obvious. Someone can be claiming to have a prophetic word. God told me this. But it can actually be a deception. Or someone can be claiming to speak the truth more, gen, uh, more generally. But the same sort of thing is happening. There's a, a sense in which a little bit of truth is getting mixed in with a lot of other things. And it's just simply not right. That was a big problem in the early church. When the church just started, the, the church came into existence. A, a new beginning. Um, a new start. The church was born in the book of Acts, uh, as we can read about it. And then there are different men uh, that God appointed to, to help the church be kind of built solidly, to be well built. Um, those men were called apostles, and they would travel from place to place. They would kind of, what they would be aiming to do figuratively was yet lay a good foundation. So this group of disciples kind of, they, 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 they know who Jesus is, they know what the truth is, and uh, they're not going to be easily uh, deceived. But there are others going around who were attempting to deceive, coming in with a different message. They might still be talking about Jesus, but they're sprinkling in so much other stuff, it's taking them off course. So that was the, that was the challenge, that was the danger of, of churches being taken off course. Hearing something that well, it sounds like Jesus, it kind of sounds like it could be okay. Maybe we'll go with that. Paul had a name for these guys, false apostles. And um, he writes in 2 Corinthians 11, For such men are false apostles, um, verse 13. Deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his angels masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So there's a sense in which there are guys, they are saying what sounds kind of familiar. It can sound okay. Well, they're talking about Jesus. Surely it's all right. But actually what's happening is they are, they're bringing deceit. They're masquerading. They're, they're wearing a mask. And, um, it's not obvious to start with, but Maybe the mask starts to slip and Paul's trying to help them to see other ways. My uh, dad celebrated his 70th birthday uh, last year. And as a family, we, we all got together for the weekend. And one thing that one of my sisters had done, had made um, or had printed and laminated um, masks of my dad's face. And so, you know, we, we all lined up for the family photo. But other than him, we were all wearing a mask. Uh, and so we all had his face on, um, which is a little bit weird, because when you look at the photo, it's incredibly unnerving, and we all look a little bit like Doctor Who baddies, um, just little tiny eyes uh, cut out. But at first glance, you're going to think, oh, there's, there's 12 of my dad. That's just weird. Now, which one is it? Which one is the right one? And then, oh, yeah, that's, that's him. The others are just pretending. Here we've got some guys who are just pretending they're wearing the mask. And, um, and what is happening then is the message of the gospel is getting polluted. They are talking about Jesus, but they're sprinkling in other things. And this had one of two effects, potentially 
both in the same place. What they would either be doing is saying, yeah, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. But what you've got to do to be accepted by him is kind of submit to these extra rules. There are certain things that you have to do in order to get into God's favor or to stay there. There are certain there are certain rules about what you about what you eat or about your your body. There are certain things that you have to do, um, and then God will be pleased with you. So, yeah, the Apostle Paul he might have told you some stuff so far. That's okay, but you need to hear this extra stuff and uh, get led astray. It can happen the other way, where they'd say, "Okay, yeah, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth." Jesus is the life. Um, but really, what you've heard from Paul is only part of the story. What you've, you've been reading in the scriptures, that's only part of the story. Uh, now, because of what Jesus has done, because we've been saved, because we've, uh, in, we've had a new beginning, we've had a completely brand new start, it doesn't actually matter how you live. The grace of God is such that you can just Disregard everything. Live as you please. Pursue your own pleasure in whichever way you might prefer. Uh, you don't need to, to pay attention to, to, God's, to God's will or to God's word. You're free to live life how you want in regard to your relationships, in regard to your work, in regard to every decision you might make. You are not bound to consider God. You can see that it starts with Jesus, but it goes awry in one of two, uh, two directions. And in a sense, what's happening is grace is getting polluted. What God's wonderful message of grace is, um, is getting polluted one way or another. So not everything that uses the word Christian, and not everyone who claims to be one and speak for Jesus is authentic. And we see that with things like Christian, uh, so-called Christian cults. They can be talking about Jesus, but they'll very much be um, stressing all the rules, all the extra um, laws that one has to go through in order to be pleasing to God. Whereas what we've heard is, no, God has come to us. God has stepped down to uh, to make a new start possible. So what we do is, is repent of our sin and believe in Jesus. And uh, that's, that's it. He receives us and we are born again. But it gets distorted that way or it gets distorted in another way. How do we overcome this, these kinds of deceptions or other kinds of deceit that might throw up? And just briefly, we'll look at a few, a few of those ways that we see here in this passage. Uh, how to overcome deception is this. Go to the Word of God. Go to what God has revealed in His Word. And uh, I believe that's what Nehemiah was doing. He could go back to the book of Numbers. And he could find there in chapter 18. God's Word um, in regard to the temple and how it was to be operated. Uh, in Numbers 18 and verse 7. 
Aaron is being told there, but only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I'm giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary must be put to death. So Nehemiah knew the word of God. Therefore, he was equipped to realize this is just something that's taking me off track. And so the encouragement for us is to get into uh, God's word. In the book of Hebrews, uh, we're told there in chapter 5. The writer of the book of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 5 verse 11. We've much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk Being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So it's talking there about about not just being nourished by by elementary truths of God's word, but digging into um, that which is solid food, tucking into solid food. And you'll notice there that it talks about by constant use. People have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There's a, there's a danger that we only want to turn to God's word when we particularly need him to speak to us about a particular decision and um, a particular challenge that we might be facing in life. And so we might be tempted to do, God, would you speak to me today from somewhere in your word? Uh, right, I'll, and it just becomes almost like potluck approach rather than ongoing, constant use. Nehemiah knew that actually he was in a battle, there was a fight on. Therefore, he knew I would always be enjoying and nourishing myself in God's word. Therefore, when stuff comes up, I'm in a position where I can, I can begin to discern and distinguish between what, what is right and what isn't, what is, what is good, what is, what is evil. So not just kind of approach God on a particular, on one day in the year, um, desperate for a particular answer to a particular issue, but just meditating on it increasingly. And uh, going to God's word means, actually we're not just thinking of prophecy as a convenient shortcut. Maybe if I have a prophetic word, I can find out God's will for my life, separate from what he said here. And again, we can kind of develop as well as a potluck mentality, maybe an, an either-or mentality. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of being encouraged to, to, to expect the Spirit of God to speak, and He does. And therefore, I perhaps don't need to concern myself uh, with what the Bible does. I can find out God's will for my life uh, just through prophetic words. And so we can kind of opt to eagerly seek prophecy and God speaking in a supernatural way kind of in the here and now or we can opt to get into the word clearly I think the scripture would encourage us to do both and so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Paul writes there in verse 19 do not put out the spirit's fire do not treat prophecies with contempt Test everything, hold on to the good, and avoid every kind of evil. So we are 
not wanting to put out the Spirit's fire, wanting to receive uh, prophecies, not treat them with contempt. But that doesn't mean uh, kissing our brains goodbye or, or disregarding what the Word says. So the way in which we receive prophecies and, and a way of honoring the Spirit is to test everything that we hear prophetically and think, well, how does this, how does this match up? This guy in Nehemiah's time was sharing a personal prophetic word, as it were. But actually, weighing it with this, it didn't match up. I wonder sometimes whether we can think um, along the lines of, well, God has told me this. We can use that in conversation. God has said this. And we can kind of almost project that as a way of saying, and therefore you cannot challenge me on the decision that I'm making. You can't just challenge me because God has said, this is what I'm uh, to do. It's almost like this way of, of rebutting any, any kind of question, any sense of, well, let's just, let's just weigh this together, shall we? Let's test this. Oh, no, 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 because God has said, God has said. Well, look, we want to ensure that we are, we are open and eager um, for the Spirit's activity amongst us, which involves genuine prophetic words, unlike the false prophecy we see in this passage well therefore we put it to test and we put it to test by by looking at scripture by taking it to the word of god so how do we overcome deception we go to the word how do we overcome deception we need to be aware of making ourselves into a special case perhaps even at that point nehemiah could have just been tempted to think well i know that um only priests at this point should go to the the temple there in Jerusalem, that's, it's the, it's the priests that have been ordained to do that. I'm not a priest, but, well, I am the governor. And, uh, I'm about a great work. And God has got a great call on my life. God is greatly at work. He's a great God. And He's put me in this great position of being governor. And, and perhaps therefore, Whilst other people shouldn't go to the temple in this particular situation, maybe actually that's okay for me. Maybe if Nehemiah was tempted to think of himself in those terms, he could have thought, well, perhaps God is making an exception for me. He's revealed in his word what is generally true. But perhaps that's not relevant for me. It could appeal to his pride. And for us, we need to beware the thinking that might make ourselves into a special case, a special exception. See, in the book of of Romans, we're told there in Romans 12 and verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And then similarly, we see also in the book of Galatians and in chapter 6 and verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to anybody else. So that sense of actually not just making an assumption, but testing one's self and thinking of oneself with sober 
judgment, being aware. Yeah, God's not necessarily making me a special case in all of this. I need to go to the Word of God and see what's appropriate. I need to just consider what is right rather than necessarily go with what might feel nice or feel uh, appropriate. I want to be sure by digging into the Word of God. And also, how do we overcome deception? It's by observing the fruit. Observing, where is this leading? Um, we see that here with Nehemiah. He's observing, this is something that is just bringing a sense of intimidation. I realized that God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Samuel had hired him. They'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And they would then give me a bad name to discredit me. It's like, where is this leading? Well, if he was to accept that word, it was leading to just intimidation. Prophecy, as we see in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, is something that should lead to strength and courage, leads us to worship God, and leads us to faith rather than fear. God has given us a spirit not of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. It doesn't mean that every prophetic word that might ever come will always be predicting great success. It may not be doing that. It might be saying there's, there's something tough that's coming, but God is with you. There's a sense of, it might not be saying uh, predicting great success, but it will spur us on. It will encourage us. It will draw us towards God. It will draw us towards faith in him. It will draw us towards worship. So Nehemiah was encountering all of this, but God enabled him. He was able to discern that this is something that is trying to deceive me. Because of his love for the word, because of his commitment to that, because of his commitment to God's work, because he was committed to not think of himself more highly than he ought to, he realized he was just somebody who God has commissioned for a certain thing, a certain task. He wasn't kind of getting carried away and all kind of grandiose. And because God was enabling him to, to observe the fruit of what was brought, he was, he was clear. This is just, this is not on. This is not the way God is leading. And so he disregards what we see here as a false prophecy. Are we able to distinguish between that which is God encouraging and that which is the enemy seeking to deceive? Are we just going to the word of God occasionally um, for the odd morsel of encouragement? Or are we meditating on it, enjoying it, getting a, lo- a load out of it um, on, a, on a regular basis, which means that we're, we're equipped to stand firm when the enemy uses more subtle tactics? Ridicule? Well, that's really quite obvious. Accusations is very much in your face. But God wants to lead us, and so we need to be ready. Are we aware that we are in a battle? That doesn't mean we're in an unusual time. Being part of God's kingdom, seeking to kind of pursue what God wants us to do as a church in this city, individually, Pursuing God will always mean 
that an enemy is trying to use tactics to uh, distract us from that. And those tactics get increasingly subtle. So the more mature we get in our faith, the more we can distinguish, the more we can see, the more we realize there's always a battle going on. There's always enemies who are trying to undermine what God wants to do. What we see here, what we've seen before, what we see again, is that God is completely sufficient to help us through every challenge. His word is sufficient. There is a subtle foe, but he can be overcome. And uh, God has a new beginning, and uh, that will not be thwarted. Let's continue to look to him. Let's continue to dig into his word. Let's continue to, to think this is, this is wartime. Apparently at the outset of the Second World War, um, it was thought of really as the phony war. Because war had been declared, but it didn't appear that much was happening. It didn't appear that much was going on. And there could be some who are just very optimistic and blasé. Everything's fine. Everything's going to be fine. Well, no, actually, it just could be that there's an enemy who's subtly at work, subtly making preparations. For us, that doesn't mean we should be discouraged, but rather encouraged. Encouraged that God knows how to lead us through. God's word is sufficient for every challenge. And when God purposes to do something, it will come about. There's a a new beginning that he wants to do, and we want to keep our eyes fixed on him. Fixed on him in every season, in every moment, in seasons of great encouragement, uh, and seasons when we might just be tempted off path. There can be battles to work through, and it can cause us to have questions But we want our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Not being led astray one way or another. But keeping our eyes fixed on him and his wonderful gospel. Let's pray together.